Good evening. The reading is taken from Hebrews chapter 1, and then additionally Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 to 16. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for his sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Chapter 4, verses 14. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to feel sympathy for our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Thanks be to God. evening. I'm just going to move this. Hi. Good evening. Uh, my name is Chawi, as Katie has said. Uh, I'm part of the congregation here at St. Paul's. Um, so I became a Christian when I was a teenager, um, when I was unfortunate enough to make friends with Thomas G., Jonathan's son. Um, so he invited me to come along to church and to youth group, and eventually I decided to, that I wanted to follow Jesus. Um, so I've been a member of the church family for about 15 years, during which time uh, I went to Durham University to study, uh, first chemistry, somewhat unsuccessfully, and then theology, somewhat more successfully. So today, uh, as it's Ascension Sunday, we're taking a slight break from our series on John to look at the Ascension. Um, so the question we'll be thinking about this evening is this, what is the ascended Jesus doing now? So in order to answer this, or to consider it, we'll be in the book of Hebrews, uh, where one of the central themes is that the ascended Jesus is our great high priest. So I'm just going to pray that God will speak to us this evening. Father, thank you that we can be here this Ascension Sunday. Help us to hear what you're saying tonight, so that we can know Jesus better, love him more, and serve him wholeheartedly. Amen. So Hebrews is quite a mysterious letter in some ways. Uh, we don't know who the author is uh, or the church that it was written to. Whoever the recipients were, and we'll call them the Hebrews for short, they're being persecuted for their faith in Jesus. We know that some of the Hebrews are in prison and that some are suffering some form of mistreatment. And in chapters 3 and 4, the author urges the Hebrews not to give up on their faith. He uses an example from Israel's wandering in the wilderness to kind of illustrate the point. So we can be pretty certain that the Hebrews are Jewish converts to Christianity. And the whole letter, you can kind of crudely summarize it as, don't give up because Jesus is better than what you had before. 
So we can see at the beginning of our passage here, Hebrews 4.14, he encourages the Hebrews to hold firmly to the faith that we profess. So why is this letter needed? Um, it's probably pretty obvious now, because they were tempted to give up. Um, they kind of thought, forget this whole Jesus thing. At least when they were Jewish, they got to practice their religion without fear of persecution. No one put them in prison. No one mistreated them. The congregation is suffering, and it's tired of it. So this letter is a response to those circumstances. It's written to encourage Christians to keep going in the face of trying circumstances. So today, I want to pick out three things. First, that Jesus sympathizes with us in our struggles. Second, that Jesus is willing and able to help those who are struggling. And third, that Jesus does these things because he takes joy in us. So, point one, Jesus sympathizes with us in our struggles and our weakness. So, in the midst of the Hebrews' temptation to pack it all in and to give up, that's, I think, the weakness that's being referenced in verse 15, the author points them to Jesus. Jesus, as he is now, risen and ascended, the great high priest in the heavens. And he says, look at Jesus um, and consider this. Jesus isn't unable to feel sympathy for our weakness. He was tempted in every way, just as we were, but he did not sin. So it's kind of unexpected, isn't it? The author doesn't say something like, Jesus is going to solve all of your problems if only you Hebrews had more faith. No, the first thing you have to consider when you're going through suffering and persecution is that you have to realize that Jesus truly knows and cares about it. He knows exactly what it's like to face the prospect of losing his reputation, to be abandoned by those he loved, to be afraid, to suffer an unjust and painful death. He suffered when tempted. And through it all, no matter how sorely he was tempted to give up on God, he never did. But because he never did, he knows how it feels to go through trials and difficulties, no matter how great they are. And I think, in a way, we can relate to the Hebrews, um, given the year that we've had. So we're not generally being persecuted for our faith. No one's been sent to prison for being a Christian, but it hasn't been an easy 12 months. I can imagine we're all tired of this pandemic, of being stuck indoors, having to follow rules on who we can see, where we can go. And of course, I'm not saying that these restrictions were bad since they've saved a lot of lives, but it's been hard all the same. Perhaps we were anxious and afraid for ourselves or our loved ones. And Hebrews says, through it all, Jesus knows how we felt and he sympathizes with us. When life felt monotonous and pointless as you seem to, to live the same day every day, Jesus sympathizes. When the kids are fighting for the hundredth time during lockdown and you've just about had it, Jesus sympathizes. When you felt like you didn't want to spend time with God, when you couldn't feel God's presence, when you couldn't go to church to get fed, Jesus sympathizes. Nothing you've felt, nothing you've done during this pandemic or otherwise invalidates your identity as a Christian. Jesus, even though he's risen, he's ascended in glory. He knows how it feels in every moment of our lives. And he always loves us and he sympathizes with us in those moments. So one of the, there's a good story about God's sympathy uh, in the Old Testament. It's the story of Elijah in 1 Kings 19. So Elijah's just triumphs over the priests of Baal. He's proven that the Lord is the true God of Israel. 
And then he gets threatened by the pagan queen of Israel, Jezebel. And instead of trusting in the Lord, like he's just done, his resolve falters. He runs away into the desert. He finds some shelter, and he demands that God takes his life because Elijah has failed to liberate Israel, just like the prophets before him. And what does God do in response? He tells Elijah, have some sleep, have some food, some drink as well. Here's someone to sit with you. God shows Elijah sympathy by meeting his material needs and providing him with company. And God doesn't change. He's not a human being. If he shows that sympathy to Elijah, he shows the same sympathy to us. So we've seen that the risen Jesus, the ascended Jesus, is sympathetic to the weakness of his people. But that isn't all. Our second point is that he is able to help those who are in need. So in verse 50, the author encourages us to approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. So we can approach Jesus confidently because he is both sympathetic to our situations and he is able to help us. So this help comes in two forms. So firstly, we receive mercy. So if we go back to the situation that the Hebrews found themselves in, they're being persecuted for their faith and they're tempted to give up. It would be no surprise if they struggled to live out their faith perfectly. It's often more tempting to sin when life gets harder. And when they sinned, they needed mercy, a God who forgives those who recognize their wrongdoing. We're told later in the letter that Jesus is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. So through Jesus, forgiveness is possible. And what is true for them is true for us. That same mercy is always on offer. So I'm not saying, by the way, that feeling overwhelmed by life or tired or afraid, none of those things are sinful. But it can be easier to act in ways that are sinful when times are hard. For example, when we've been wronged, it's so hard, isn't it, to love our enemies, to pray for them, to hope for their repentance, to recognize our own sin first. And it's okay to feel those emotions, to feel wronged and frustrated. But Jesus asks us to love our enemies in spite of this. Just a note, um, I'm not encouraging you to stay in abusive or emotionally unhealthy or dangerous situations, but just that we are commanded to forgive our enemies. And I'm sure we can all think of ways in which we need mercy. So Jesus helps us by showing us mercy, by forgiving us when we sin. But as well as receiving mercy when we come to him, we also find grace. So for the Hebrews, the grace that they needed was the ability to persevere in the face of opposition, to have confidence in what they hoped for and assurance of what they couldn't yet see, that Jesus is indeed risen and ascended to the right hand of God, and that he will return to fully inaugurate his kingdom and save his people from their suffering. So it's impossible to list all the ways in which God is gracious to us, so, because there are so many. Um, most obviously, of course, God's grace is shown through Jesus, through his life so that we can know what God is like, through his crucifixion so that we could be saved from sin and death, through his resurrection so that we can have a resurrection life with him, through his ascension so that we have a great high priest who intercedes for us. But 
God also shows grace to us relationally, and it's often in really unexpected ways. So he might make his presence known to us when we're praying, or during worship, or when we're reading our Bible. Maybe we receive what we need to keep going in a difficult situation. Or he might put friends in our lives who can listen to our doubts during a sometimes tricky theology degree. Friends who are patient enough to listen to the same issues for three whole years. So I have a, another example of how God shows grace to individuals in unexpected ways. So when my wife Sarah prayed at university to love God better, she didn't really know what to expect. Uh, a few days later, we were doing our Greek assignment together. We were translating the story of Jesus' execution in Mark's gospel. And slowly, because our Greek was not as good as it could have been, line by line, we went through the whole ordeal, unfairly condemned by the religious authorities, betrayed by his friend, mocked and beaten by Roman soldiers. And suddenly, we were struck by the enormity of what Jesus had done for us. And God helped us to love him better through Greek homework. I know that this isn't everyone's experience. Faithful Christians have prayed for mercy and grace and apparently received no answer in response. People have given up on their faith because God didn't seem to be there. We don't have time to go into this in detail, but just a few observations. Um, first, I am sorry if this is the case. That must be a really, really tough place to be in. Um, second, if you do know someone who's struggling with this, please be there for them. Um, help them where you can. Sympathize with them like Jesus does. Third, and I know it might seem so far away right now, but the new creation where Jesus puts the world to rights is coming. The things we endure will not last, will not have the last word, for Jesus has defeated sin and death. Sometimes as Christians, our faith feels like soaring on wings like eagles. Sometimes it feels like we're running, and sometimes we're just walking and everything feels hard. And Jesus knows he has gone through the same things. I hope and trust he will give you the mercy and grace you need to persevere. So we've seen that the ascended Jesus sympathizes with us in our weakness, in all the difficulties that life can throw at us. We've seen that he helps us, he offers us mercy and grace. And our third point is very simple. He does this because he takes joy in us. Hebrews 12, verse 2 says this, For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So what was the joy that was set before him? Well, it was the joy of completing his task, the task of saving his people from their sins so that they could become children of God. Jesus scorned the shame of the cross because he rejoiced in what it would accomplish. And I think it's worth dwelling on that for a second. To paraphrase Paul in 2 Corinthians, Jesus saw the cross as a light and momentary trouble because of the joy of saving his people, not only so that we could have relationship with him, but also so that he could have relationship with us. To know us brings Jesus joy. Do we often think about Jesus taking joy in us? Zephaniah prophesies over Israel with these words. The Lord your God is with you. He will take great delight in you. He will rejoice over you with singing. So when we imagine Jesus sympathizing with us, offering us mercy and grace, interceding for us, don't ever imagine him doing it grudgingly, 
There's no sense of Jesus thinking, oh no, Chowie's having doubts again. Or this is the 77th time I'll have to forgive him for getting snappy. Or does he have to keep asking for help when he can't write a simple sermon? Whenever we approach Jesus, no matter what's going on in our lives and how we feel, he delights in us. It brings him joy simply to know that we are his people. And I find it a privilege to be seen like that by Jesus, to be so loved by him. How am I so fortunate? My God sympathizes with my weakness. He is always ready to forgive and restore me when I go astray. He gives me the grace to continue when life is hard. So if you don't remember anything else from what was said tonight, and which is probably fair enough, just remember how much joy Jesus takes in you, wherever you might find yourself in life, whatever you felt like this past week, whatever has happened, whatever you've done, come to him now and receive mercy, find grace. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. So we're gonna take a moment now just to reflect on what we've looked at tonight. So maybe we need Jesus to sympathize with us at the moment. Maybe there's something in our lives that we need forgiveness for. Maybe we need God's help in a situation. Or maybe we just want to celebrate that Jesus rejoices over us. So let's stand as we pray. Father, thank you that even though Jesus has returned to heaven, he hasn't forgotten about us. Thank you that when we come to him, he welcomes us. Thank you that he rejoices over us. We pray that you meet with us now and give us the grace that we need today. Help us to hear you and to respond accordingly, whether it be in praise and thanksgiving, in action or in repentance. Amen.